All right, second service. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah. Woo-woo, yeah. Okay, we got some response in the second service. I like it. I like it. All right, well, my name is Drew Cleek. I'm part of the teaching team here at Vertical Church. Really excited to have you guys and gals here. If you're the first-time visitor, I am not your full-time pastor. That honor belongs to a much older, wiser man, Ben Derrick, a man that has two first names and needs no introduction. Um, and I'm serious, if you are here for the first time, we are so excited to have you here. Um, man, I don't know if you guys were here last week, but great service, great time to be here at Vertical Church. Uh, we're in a service series called Inward Fire. We're in the second week, and this has been a message series that has not come naturally for the teaching team. Um, if you have if you happen to be part of those meetings or maybe you listen to the Vertical Plus podcast, shameless plug for, for Ben and Austin right there, they'll be the first people to tell you that there's certain things that just come naturally just because the time and the environment sets it up. This sermon series did not come natural for us. Um, just because of COVID and the environment, uh, things about it just seemed almost unnatural. And, you know, I've learned a lot over the last couple of years in the Army. And one of the very first things that I learned is to never volunteer for anything. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You never volunteer for anything. Well, Ben and Austin were struggling to get through this message, and I, uh, I volunteered for it. And that was my first mistake because I was talking to Ben. I said, okay, and we're fire. I got it. Let's talk about it. Which, uh, which of the things that am I going to get? And he's like, man, I want you to talk about peace. I'm like, peace? You want me to talk about peace? Like, I probably struggle with peace more than anybody in this church right now. Like, I got four kids, count them. One, two, three, four. Seven, four, two, and new, right? Like, it's chaos in my house all the time. And I'm telling you, like, if you could just, like, take a snapshot of my life. Like, let's just take yesterday, for instance, because that's relevant, right? Yesterday... Zero, five, 48, baby starts crying. <sighs> All right, I'm up. I get to the, to the refrigerator. I'm going to be the good dad and provide a milk for my, my wonderful baby boy. There's no milk. Okay, well, we're going to get dressed, and we're going to go to the grocery store to fix that. I, I get dressed, and right as I get to the door, there's a two-year-old that is blocking my way out. And she's got no pants on. And she insists on going with me. She won't get out of the way. Dad, Dad, I want to come with you. Dad, I got to come with you. Well, we go rounds about the importance of pants in public. And finally, after about 20 minutes, I get her dressed and we get her in the car. I go to the grocery store. I get the milk. By the time I get home, my four-year-old has caught a frog. And this frog is the most important thing to her in the world. Uh, she's named it Spiker. And Spiker completes her. Well, in the next hour, Spiker's dead. Uh, she squeezed it to death. She loved it too much. That ensues more crying, more chaos. We bury Spiker, rest in peace. And so then enters my son on the scene, seven-year-old, new birthday, just got a drone, and he flies into a tree. Which tree? We don't know. I, don't, I mean, we walk around for an hour looking for it in the woods, but we can't find it. And it's this chaos that happens. It's so funny. I'm an I'm avid sports fan, right? And I'm watching college football. I'm watching Tulsa, Oklahoma State. And so you should know the, the, con the state of where my mind's at if I'm watching Tulsa and Oklahoma State play. And I'm listening to these, these players complain 
about like their season being turned on and turned off and turned on and turned off. And I just like wanted in my best Bane voice to say, you merely adopted the darkness. I was born into this, right? Like this is just a part of my life with four kids. My wife, she comes up to me as I'm watching football. She wants to talk about uh, Ruth Ginsburg and what's gonna go on with the Supreme Court nominations and all these things. And I'm just like, sweetheart, I can barely keep it together in this one acre circle around 219 Ingleside here in Madison. I cannot affect change that's happening beyond that. Beyond this driveway, I got nothing for you. If you want me to go straight off the edge, we'll start talking about politics in this house right now. I can't do it. And so we're talking about peace today. And I feel like I'm probably one of the best and worst qualified people to do that because of the life that I live. My, my job is predictably unpredictable. I'm, te- I'm speaking to you guys from a gray chair standpoint. I don't work full time on staff, so I can talk to you from your position of what it's like not to be a full time pastor to, to dealing with this peace situation. And Austin and Ben can talk to you about it too, but it, I really do think it comes authentic from where I'm sitting and sitting in the crowd with you most Sundays mornings. And I think that that's what Austin and Ben were trying to get at by asking if I would speak this Sunday. And I'm really excited to be here. I'm very, very encouraged to see everybody out here. The premise behind Inward Fire is a good one. It's a situation where, and when we were talking about it and planning it last year, is there are certain principles and certain things that we need to feed, like a fire, right? Like you can throw a lot of fuel on a fire and it'll go up. Right, but then it'll eventually extinguish if you're not giving it the right attention, the right resources. And a fire is so practical in the fact that it not only helps you, but it helps the people around you, right? Like we, we feed the fire and it provides warmth, it provides security, it provides light, very similar to what we're supposed to be as Christians. So I want this to be a, a conversation between me and you guys. This isn't a teaching moment, this isn't a preaching moment. Like, if you want to say amen, if you want to give me a north-south, you say, come on. If you want to give me a woo, that's appropriate this Sunday because we're going to be talking about this man right here a little bit. Woo, Ric Flair, nature boy, right? 16-time world champion. Oh, man. If you know who this guy is, then you were an 80s and 90s child, right? Like, Ric Flair, the big man in the big house from the big city, is a big deal. And if you know about him, then he'll be the first to tell you he had all the looks, right, baby? He had all the money. He had the house and the cars and all of it. And Ric Flair on the outside has it all. He has it figured out. I recently watched a 30 for 30 with Ric Flair. And the guy, even though he had it figured out on the outside, man, he was devoid of peace on the inside. And I think so many people in this world right now are a Ric Flair. They've got it all figured out on the outside. People in this church are Ric Flair. They've accomplished everything that they set out to do. There are people in the Bible that are Ric Flair that did it all and got to the end and realized that they didn't have peace. You can't accomplish your way to peace. You can't achieve your way to peace. Ric Flair would be the one to tell you that. And if you're trying to do that, most of the time, you leave that shadow on the doorsteps of the people closest around you. Ric Flair had a son that OD'd from heroin overdose. Like, a very, very tragic story. He's in the twilight of his life, in his 70s, and if you had asked him if he accomplished everything, he would have told you yes, and then he would also probably tell you that his life is a wreck. And we're gonna talk about another character 
like that in the Bible today. We're going to talk about Saul. But before we jump into the Word, I just want to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll go right into it. Father God, just thank you so much for this morning, the second service, God. I just pray that the words that are being said from this stage, God, they land on the hearts of the people that need to hear them. I thank you, God, for the people that are here in this room that will leave here today and they'll be going out and they'll be ministering to this community around Madison and the Jackson area, God. I just pray for each of one of them and I just provide encouragement this Sunday morning. In your name, amen. So Saul, right? Saw New Testament, not Old Testament. Uh, the guy that later went on to become Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is a big deal in the Bible. And even before he was a big deal in the Bible, he was a big deal at his time in his place. So he was a Pharisee. He had gained a lot of notoriety, a lot of political authority. He was charged to be the guy that was supposed to go out and end this new spinoff of Judaism and it was going to be called the way, and he was going to crush it. He was charged to go in prison and kill Christians, and he had the full power of the government behind him. It was a theocratic government at the time in Jerusalem. And it, if you looked at Saul and who he was, he had accomplished it all. In fact, he would even, when he would go and talk to people, this is how he would introduce himself. He would say, I am a Jew born of Tarsus. Let me translate that for you into modern language. I am of Harvard. I am of Yale. I am a person of importance and have been educated. I have been educated under the feet of Gamaliel. I've been taught under Nobel laureates. I've been taught under people that know what they're doing, right? And according to the strictest manner of our law of our fathers, he's saying, I'm the most Yoda of the Jedi in the Pharisee. Like, I have it together and I know what we're all about, right? He says, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He's like, man, I got it. He was bringing wasta to the conversation. That's a, that's a um, Middle Eastern term that we have even to this day where he's like basically saying, I have the authority to speak into this conversation because I was once one of you. And I still think that we do that today as people, Right? That's a very human trait where I have to let you guys know what I've done so you will even listen to me, right? Jesus was the exact opposite. Jesus' kingdom principle, right, where he says he comes into this world in a manger, born of a carpenter, and still speaks to the authority of things. Amen? Like, that, that's the God I follow. And Saul's still very much human, and he's presenting this. In fact, Saul is such the perfectionist. He's such the person of accomplishments. His conversion is such a big deal that Luke talks about it three times in the book of Acts. People were just astounded that this guy, this very important person in Judaism, this very important person as the Pharisee would ever change and become a Christian. And we're going to talk about that in uh, chapter 9 of Acts. And so this is going to be a long reading. Follow me with it. We're going to have a couple breakouts in there. But I just want to just give you guys a roadmap as we walk through this. Just listen to the language in this story. Listen to how Luke is communicating this and just the conversation that he's having about Saul. So Saul, as he went on his way, approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, 
and you will be told what to do. And the men that were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose to the ground, from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Pause story. So you got Saul, this guy that's been charged to kill these people. He's got it all figured out. He's got a whole entourage with him going to Damascus on this charge to get these people. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. Boom. His life is disrupted. The guy that had built his life on being this religious leader to being this person of authority is now blinded and has nothing. He's disrupted in this place. And all the things that he thought he was achieving were literally exact opposite of what he should have been doing the whole time. And I can feel the language when he talks about, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't drink, I couldn't eat. Like, I just see the shame and the guilt that probably just like was spiraling around his insides as he sat in a room in the darkness and just thought about that. What have I been doing? What have I done with my life? Inner scene two character, right? Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, I am the Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about how evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. And the Lord said to him, go, for I have chosen him to be an instrument of mine, to carry my name to the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. So we have two, story, or two characters in this story, right? Each guy is facing a decision. They're wrestling with a choice. Yet first Saul, who has been met with God and completely disrupted. And then secondly, you have Ananias, who's been told to go talk to this guy. And I can't imagine the fear that Ananias has. That would be like asking one of you guys to go talk to a member of ISIS that's been chopping off people's heads. And it's like, hey, go, go talk to this guy about Jesus. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, you want me? Yeah, I want you. I wanna break the story right there. And I wanna have that conversation piece I was talking about earlier. I think that everybody in this room has had an Ananias Saul story. I think everybody in this room has hit a rock bottom where they've needed God and somebody else to just come and meet them in that place. Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you just came out of it. For me, I can immediately pinpoint it. So I'm an achiever. I'm a goal guy. I like checklists. I, like I like to get things done. That's how I find validation. It's not really a healthy ingredient for finding peace in a lot of ways, right? And I remember it really hit me in college. So in high school, in superlatives, I was nominated as 
the, the person that uh, was most involved, and that's because I was. In college, I went to Mississippi State. I played a year of junior college to play baseball, went to Mississippi State to play baseball, and it didn't work out for me. I got cut from the team. So on to the next thing, right? I go and I join the Army. I sign up. I'm going to be a Green Beret, all these great things. Um, and the same time, I'm also signing up to be a part of any and every social group and event I could possibly be. I'm just chasing something that's not there. So I sign up and I join a fraternity. I also went into student government, became student body vice president, and I joined every possible religious organization on campus. Because in the South, right, being social and being spiritual seemingly go hand in hand. Like BSU, Campus Crusades, whatever. And I was like pushing this thing around, right? And everybody thought I had gold in it. I was telling everybody I had it figured out. I was the most spiritual guy. If you came to me, I could quote you all kinds of Bible verses. I could tell you how great everything was going. And I would walk up to people with my chest and I would say, man, I got it going on. It's filled with gold, people. And people believed me. They were like, yeah, okay, cool, man. Golden boy, got it. And I really felt that way. And then one day, God met me in that place or my achievements, or the, the religious facade that I had built got completely disrupted. There was a girl that I had been involved with, and for whatever reason, we had been sharing intimate messages, and those messages got leaked. They got leaked to all my friends in my Bible studies. They got leaked to all my friends in my fraternities, or in my fraternity and other fraternities. They were printed off and passed around. And when... Saul talks about a language of darkness and can't eat, can't sleep. That's exactly where I was. I just, I was crushed. Everything that I had built up to, this whole image that I had was destroyed in a matter of minutes. And I tell you, I was sitting there waiting for an Ananias that never came. There were a lot of people that could have came to my side, people that were in Bible studies with me, people that were in college groups with me, friends, and they all walked. They didn't want to be around me. They didn't want to be associated with me. And that led to a protracted time of darkness. For years, I was constantly in this state of, I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. It's not okay. I knew how to do church but I didn't know how to really be a Christian. And I felt like the people around me left me, just left me on the side of the road. And so what do you do when it doesn't work out anymore? Because you can't go from being a Christian guy to being a creep, to being back onto the stage and being a Christian guy, right? Like that doesn't work. You can't not be okay in this organization, cannot be okay in this world. I needed Ananias. I needed somebody to come alongside of me. And eventually somebody did. And I found a group of people that would come alongside of me in a Bible study and tell me, man, we get what you did wasn't right, man. But that's not who you are. And it took some time to get back to okay. But I will say, I could have avoided years of pain, years of brokenness, years of struggle if somebody had just come to me and said that they were there for me. If you're a first-time guest at this church, if you're struggling through something, this church is a place that's different than a lot of those places I've been before. 
There are people that meet every Tuesday for the hangar. There's women that meet every week at the table that are there to tell you, it's okay, hold on, we'll be there, right? This church is a different place. We're trying to cultivate a place of peace. I was talking to one of my friends, and he's like, where do you go to church? I was like, I go to Vertical. He's like, that's that AA church, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it is. That's it. That's where we are. And that's okay. See, at some point, everybody's been Ananias, and everybody's been a Saul. The great thing about God's peace, that unconventional peace, is that it surpasses all understanding. And Paul talks about it in Philippians. He said, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. It will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I want to challenge you guys today. That the world is going to fill you with this. If you just get that next promotion, you just buy that next car... Hey, Madison, if you get that next house or you get your kids into whatever private school that they need to be in, that everything will be okay. That's, that's the root of all your problems. And God's like, listen, my peace is an unconventional peace. The great thing, too, about God is that he's okay with you where you're at right now. He's going to meet you. He's going to disrupt you in that place. If you're a Saul at this time, and maybe you don't know what's going on. COVID's broke your family. Your job is up, upside down. You don't know what's gonna happen next. Marriage is a problem. I encourage you to take a posture of active waiting. Be a Saul. Let people know that you're out there, that you're struggling, that there's something that's just not right in your life. And then with active waiting, the big deal with that is that you're not just hearing, right? You're not just sitting there and you're being a victim, but you're exploring what God's doing internally for you. So here's what I want to challenge you with Saul. And I think the reason that God blinded Saul is because he forced him to not look outwardly, but look inwardly. He hit that wall and he could no longer blame or look at anywhere else but himself. It's a place where only God can deliver you. And it's only a place where God can bring you peace. Maybe you're Ananias. Maybe there's somebody that's been dropped into your life. A person that's been difficult. They could be a family member. They could be a friend. They could be a coworker. They're a person that's always wanting something from you, always needing something from you. Money, resources, time. You just have to talk to them all the time. And you're like, man, this person is a drain. I can test to be there for that person. I tell you to take a posture of active listening if you're Ananias. Because Ananias was sitting there and God's like, Ananias, where are you? He said, here I am, Lord. And then he went, regardless of the fear, regardless of the, the disruption in his own life, he went down straight street with Saul. There's a lot of Saul's here that need somebody to walk down straight street with them. If you're Ananias... You need to be listening. You need to have margin in your life to be available for those people. If you're rushing everywhere, if you're maxed out all the time, how could you possibly be available to anybody else? How could you possibly be able to listen? The good thing about active listening is not just hearing, but it's responding to what you're hearing, right? 
here in a second, Chris and the band, they're going to come up and they're going to start playing. And I'm going to close this up in prayer. But I just want to challenge this church. I want to challenge the people that are in here right now that when you go out into the lobby, you be that Ananias. You talk to somebody. You make yourself available. If you're saw and you're struggling, don't struggle alone. You were brought here for this purpose. Here at Vertical Church, we're here to cultivate a place of peace. That's our goal. We want to be a place, we want to be a congregation that brings peace. And the only way that we can do that is by making ourselves available.